tonight will be in Isaiah 13. This is a chapter I would have never preached out of had I not been preaching verse by verse of the Bible. And as I dove in and studied and read and studied and read and studied and read, uh, there's some really neat, exciting things here. If not, if not anything else, your knowledge of Scripture and your excitement of the Lord's coming will be uh, deepened and you'll become excited over the latter. So uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 13. Let's stand together and we'll be looking at the first five verses. Isaiah 13, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll work our way verse by verse through the entire chapter uh, tonight. Verse number 1 says, The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, did see. Lift ye up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice unto them. Shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, The Burden of Babylon. The Burden of Babylon. We find that phrase at the very beginning of the chapter where it says, The Burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, did see. So let's uh, jump in tonight. We'll be talking a lot about Babylon as it is laid out throughout the whole Bible. Uh, We'll be in the book of Genesis. We'll be in the book of Revelation and Uh, We'll be in a few different places, but we're going to do a Bible study tonight out of this chapter, and I hope to do my best to help you better understand what the Word of God says. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we ask for your discernment and your understanding. Lord, hide me behind the cross, and Lord, uh, empty me yourself and fill me with your Spirit. And Lord, my prayer is that everyone would leave here tonight with a greater, richer, deeper understanding of uh, this book. May we be excited that a prophecy that Isaiah gave... Uh, came to pass. And Lord, may that just deepen our uh, respect for your word. And uh, Lord, help us to be more confident about the prophecies yet to be fulfilled. And uh, Lord, help us to leave here tonight determined to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we just finished up chapter 12. Uh, Let's see, two weeks ago, we had Brother uh, Greer preach last week for us. And Two weeks ago, we finished up chapter 12, and chapters 7 or 8 through chapter 12 was all one prophecy lumped together. Now we're going to look at chapters 13 through 23, and we're going to see another set of prophecies that Isaiah, God's prophet, gives all at one time. Now, in Isaiah 13 through Isaiah 23, Isaiah prophesied concerning nine different countries, all right? So he's going to address nine countries over the next 11 chapters. All of these countries had interactions with Israel, and most of them bordered Israel or were very close to her border. So interaction with all nine countries, and all nine of these countries either touched Israel's border or were in close proximity in some way to Israel's Border. Now, look back at verse number 1 with me of Isaiah 13. It says, the burden, the burden of Babylon. That word burden, we, we know what a burden is, and that's a word you hear oftentimes in church communities, in church circles. Someone will say, I'm, I'm a heavy burden. My heart is heavy with 
burdens. Someone gets saved and they say, a burden was lifted uh, from me. I always picture some heavy backpack that some uh, wanderer is carrying and uh, maybe some uh, a straggler who's walking long distances is carrying a backpack with heavy weights in it and that backpack is a burden. It's a weight that is uh, hindering progress and uh, limiting uh, what can be done. Another word for burden here uh, that, uh, that could have been put down is the word judgment, judgment, the judgment of Babylon. We're going to see the nine burdens laid on these nine countries over the next handful of weeks. This week, we turn our attention to the country of Babylon, the group of Babylon. So let's look tonight at three overarching thoughts, and we're going to dive deep into the chapter and do our very best to parse it, digest it, understand it. Let's jump in tonight, look at point number one. Point number one, notice the prominence of Babylon. The prominence of Babylon. Look back with me at verse number one. Verse number one, the Bible says, The burdens of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, did see. Now, when we think of Babylon, most people, the very first thing they think of is Nebuchadnezzar. And they think of Daniel in the lion's den. And they think of the three Hebrew boys. Although Daniel in the lion's den didn't actually happen under Nebuchadnezzar. It happened under Darius and the Medes. Uh, but we think of the stories within the book of Daniel. We think of Daniel the prophet. Uh, we think of the captivity of Judah, how they were carried away by the Babylonians uh, and then stayed in captivity for 70 years. But Babylon uh, existed, the city of Babylon existed in modern day Iran. And, uh, uh, but the city of Babylon or the, the concept of Babylon goes far beyond just Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that was when it was at its peak. That was when it was at its most prominent position. But Babylon got its start long, long, long before. In fact, turn back in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter number 11. Genesis chapter number 11. As you're turning to Genesis 11, the the word Babylon uh, or the word Babel means gateway to a god. A gateway to to a God. Now, Babylon and Jerusalem sit in exact opposite of each other, in antithesis to each other, in contrast rather to each other. Babylon is a place, a place where the the uh, the ability and strength of man is held high, and uh, Jerusalem is the place where the ability and strength of God is held high. Babylon is a place of secularism where idolatry reigns supreme, the worshiping of demons, the worshiping of uh, of um, uh, idols, the worshiping of self. And Jerusalem, in contrast, is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is held high and where he dwells amongst his own people. And so ba- Babylon gets its start with Babel, the Tower of Babel. Look back with me at Genesis 11 and look at verse number 1. We find here in context, we find here the people of Noah and his three children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. And Mrs. Noah, the eight of them come off the ark, and they're fruitful and multiply. They have all kinds of babies. And now we're, a, we're, we're at least a 100 years removed from that in chapter 11. These people have begun to build up the population of the earth again. They've gathered together and stayed in one city. Look at verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that uh, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them 
thoroughly, and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You see here the strength of man, men coming together with other men in order to defy God's order to repopulate and replenish the earth. They wanted to stay in one place. They wanted to pull their efforts together. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men Builded, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they had all one language, and this they began to do. And now nothing, nothing will be restrained from them uh, that they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. The, the word us there is a reference to the Trinity. God singular speaking in a plural form. Let us go down and they uh, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence uh, unto upon the face of of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So here we see Babel, Babylon getting its beginning. Mankind coming together. Mankind doing their own thing. Mankind trying to show God we can do it better than you because we're secular in our thinking and we'll find this theme of man rising up against God in rebellion. We'll find this thinking as it moves through the Bible with this idea of the city of Babylon. Okay, So we're talking about the prominence of Babylon and we see where it got its start, at least in concept, with the Tower of Babel. Turn over with me to Daniel chapter number Number two, and look with me at verse number thirty-one, Daniel chapter two and verse thirty-one. As I mentioned a little bit ago, um, we know that um, uh, Daniel uh, and the Israelites were carried away into captivity into the city of Babylon. Okay, uh, look with me at Genesis, or rather Daniel two, and look at verse number thirty-one, and let's read down through verse number thirty-five, and we'll get an idea here of how great of a uh, people the Babylonians uh, were. You ever had two pages in your Bible stuck together? All right, I think I said that last week. I couldn't get that to turn. Okay, this is a new Bible. I'm still getting it broken. Amen. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof, was terrible. Now, before I continue reading, what happened here is now the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon, and Daniel now is uh, working for the king. He's one of the king's advisors. He's a Hebrew boy. They changed his name in uh, in in the Babylonian Empire to Belteshazzar. Here, Daniel or Belteshazzar is standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is asking uh, for an interpretation of this dream that God had given him, and here he is offering that interpretation of the dream. Look at verse 32. This image, this image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arm of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Uh, thou sawest till, um, thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them 
to pieces. There, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor and the winds carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So uh, put that image up there for me if you would. This was what he dreamed. He dreamed of an image that looked like this, okay? A head of gold, a, 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 a chest, a, a torso and chest of silver, um, uh, loins, uh, loins and, and thighs of bronze. Um, uh, rather, below that, bronze would be the iron, and then the iron and clay are the feet. These represent the kingdoms that would rule the world uh, in the years to come. This was a prophecy of, of the kingdoms to come. And God told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel that the, the, the standard, the greatest kingdom of all of these would be yours. That Nebuchadnezzar would have the greatest kingdom of all of those. Now, what do we know those kingdoms to be? Well, uh, the gold uh, was... Uh, the Babylonian Empire, the silver would be the Medo-Persian Empire, the bronze would be the Greek Empire, the iron legs would be the Roman Empire, and then the iron and clay would be modern powers. By the way, we know from the book of Revelation that there will be ten kingdoms uh, during the Antichrist's reign. Uh, He will assign ten different kingdoms that uh, they will give their power to him. How many toes are on most people's feet? Some of you need to take off your shoes and count. Did you forget? Okay. Uh, Brandon, you don't take your shoes off. Please don't take your shoes off. Amen. Leave those on. Amen. Uh, we, we want that fresh air. Uh, there are ten toes in, in the, the ten kingdoms. Now, watch this. Each kingdom was a little bit less weak than the one prior. Now, um, I'm, I, I'm like the rest of you. I've heard a lot about the Roman Empire. All right, and there's a lot of phrases that fit into the concept of the Roman Empire. All lo- all roads lead to Rome. All over. Someone said nowhere. Okay, uh, they they weren't listening very well in class. All right, all roads lead to Rome. We know about how great the Roman Empire was. They were in charge when Jesus walked the earth. Do you know that the Roman Empire was child's play compared to the Babylonian Empire? The Babylonian Empire, as far as a world dominance, world empire is concerned, is, uh, the, the, the Babylonian Empire was the greatest empire that has ever, ever, ever ruled the civilized world. And Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of that from Babylon. Babylon. Here we're talking about Babylon. Well, we know that the Medes, we'll see later in the Bible study, the Medes would come in under King Darius and they would overthrow the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire would be established and the Babylonian Empire would for a time be erased. In fact, till current date, it's been erased. But did you know that one day Babylon will exist Again, again. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, by the way, before we move on, the rock that tears down that empire, the rock that destroys those empire, anyone, anybody want to guess who that is? It's on the screen there for you. All right? Hint, hint, it's on the screen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. The empires of the world will be great, but they're no threat to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
one day he's going to come at the very end of the tribulation and he's going to destroy the feet of iron and clay and all of the kingdoms of the past will be like the chaff of the wind. There'll be no more because King Jesus will rule and reign forever. Take your Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 17. Revelation 17. One day, one day during the tribulation, um, Babylon will be rebuilt. Now, I'm going to insert what I believe is my opinion here, okay? Um, Some people believe Babylon to be uh, figurative and that Babylon is not as much a place as it is an idea. I believe, uh, from my reading of Revelation, I believe Babylon to be a physical city that will be rebuilt. There will be a political Babylon and there will be a spiritual Babylon. Will they both be in the same place? I don't know. I tend to think they will be. Uh, we'll see in a little bit later. It won't be on the in the old location of where Babylon was because that will never be inhabited again, Isaiah 13 tells us. But there will be a Babylon city that is built, a Babylon city that is reestablished, and the Antichrist will rule and reign from that Babylon. Look at Revelation 17. Look at verse number 5 through 9. The Bible says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, um, uh, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee of the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, uh, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And uh, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Where will this mystery Babylon be? Uh, I believe, based on what Revelation 17, verse 9, I believe that Mystery Babylon will be the city of Rome. So Rome is a place where there are seven mountains, seven hills. I believe Babylon will be reestablished in Rome. By the way, later on you read Revelation 18, is the city seems to just fall off in the sea. Rome is situated in a place where that very well could happen, be burned and then fall into the city. Uh, see, now... Uh, whether or not you agree that Babylon will be an actual place, some people want to say America is Babylon. I don't believe that to be accurate. Uh, but uh, whether or not you want to take uh, go with that take or not, whether you believe Babylon to be an actual place or not, no one would argue with me that Babylon, the concept of Babylon, began there uh, with uh, uh, Genesis 11, with the building of the Tower of Babel, uh, happened to be the, sa- the name of the city there in the in the book of Daniel uh, and where they, uh, Israel was overtaken and will that the, the spirit of Babylon at the least will be around in Revelation 17 and is where the Antichrist will reign from. So you're seeing all throughout from Genesis into the middle of the Bible all the way through Revelation the idea of Babylon, the prominence, prominence of Babylon. Let's move on and look at number two, God's purpose for Babylon, God's purpose for Babylon. Go back to Isaiah chapter 13, and look with me at verse number 2. Verse number 2. We'll read down through verse number 5. It says, and here the Lord is speaking to Babylon, Lift ye up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice 
unto them, shake the hand that they go into the, uh, the gate of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called um, uh, my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. Notice who sends the Babylonians. It's the Lord of hosts. He's the one that mustereth or works up the host of the battle. Verse 5, they come from a far country. Babylon, in relation to where Israel was, would have been a distance away. They come from a far country, from the end of heavens, even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Now look back with me at verse number 3. It says, I have commanded my sanctified ones. Isn't that interesting that God called the wicked Babylonians the place that is a gateway to gods, a place of heathen worship, he called them his sanctified ones. His sanctified ones. When I think of Babylonians, I don't think of sanctified people. What does the word sanctified mean? Well, here in this case, the word sanctified means set apart for a for a specific purpose. Set apart for a specific purpose. God had set apart the Babylonians for the purpose of punishing God's people for their wickedness and their idolatry and their neglect of the Sabbaths. Their neglect of the land and its Sabbath, the rest of the land. God has sanctified the Babylonians to go in and punish them. Now, we saw this earlier in the book of Isaiah with the Assyrians. God had selected the Assyrians to go in and uh, take into captivity the ten northern tribes of Israel. Now God has hand-selected the Babylonians to go in and rain down punishment on the Babylonians, or rather on the, uh, the, 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 the Israelites in Judah. Turn over to Second Chronicles 36, and we can actually watch this take place. Second Chronicles chapter number 36. While you're turning there, let me just make this quick point here. God is not limited to use only Christians to accomplish His will. God is not limited to only use uh, godly Christians to accomplish His will. His will. God can use anybody at any time to get His will accomplished at, at any point. Uh, God is able to call on the most wicked, vile, godless person to accomplish His will. God is capable of calling on the most godless, wicked, most vile nation to accomplish His will. God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, with whoever he wants, if God can call Nebuchadnezzar who would build a statue and order people to be to bow down or they would be thrown into a fiery furnace, if God can call Nebuchadnezzar who was so filled with himself that God had to send him into the field to eat a grass like a wild beast for seven years, if God can use that man to accomplish his will, then God can use anybody at any time and anywhere to get his will done. We see this, the sanctified ones of Babylon, we see them doing God's will in Second Chronicles 36. Look at verse number 5. We see them carrying the, the, the Judeans into captivity. It says, Jehoiakim was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar also carried a, of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in the temple of Babylon. Now, from here forward, we'll see 
in a rapid succession, we're not going to take the time to read it, but we see in rapid succession several other kings that are installed in Judah. Now, a caveat here, yes, they sat in and held the position of king, but they were not really in charge of Jerusalem. They acted more like a governor over the region. Now, Nebuchadnezzar at, at one point had taken over pretty much all of the world. And what he would do is he would say, okay, I'm leaving you in charge and you answer to me. Now, these kings would all revolt and rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar would send someone in and wipe them out. In one case, the Egyptians came in and wiped them out. And we are seeing the hard decline, the hard fall off of the nation of Judah as the walls are being torn down and the city is being burned. Look at verse number 18. We see it all kind of come to a head. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, and, uh, and uh, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, that temple that Solomon had built, was now burnt to the ground and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them uh, that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the uh, word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, look here, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she uh, lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. A uh, quick explanation on that to those of you that don't know. Some may say, well, sure, uh, the prophets weren't dumb. They could see the wickedness and the political corruption, and anyone could have surmised that one day the country would fall politically. It doesn't take a genius to look at a country and a downward slide and say, uh, well, yeah, they, they got it right. Anyone could have looked at that and got it right. And I can understand that argument. Here's what's fascinating, okay? Um, uh, not only did Isaiah predict the downfall, he predicted the reason for the downfall, and he predicted some 100 years prior who would be the one that would carry them into captivity. Jeremiah predicted that they would be carried into captivity and not only predicted the reason uh, that they would be carried into captivity, but predicted the why and the length. Watch this now. He said that because you have not given the earth its Sabbath rest, God will carry you into captivity until the earth has gotten that Sabbath rest. What does that mean? Watch this. This is amazing. Okay, This proves that God assigned the Babylonians to carry his people away into captivity, that God sanctified them to do so. The Israelites went 490 years without giving their farmland rest. 490 years. Now, why is that significant? Because God had commanded through Moses that every seven years they were not to plant anything on that field. Every seven years they were to give that a rest. If you take 490 and you divide that by seven, you come up with 70 years they needed to be in captivity. Anybody want to guess how long the Israelites were held in captivity? Exactly 70 years. When God finished giving the land its rest, he allowed his people to go home. 
You see, the Babylonians did not overcome the power of God. No, no, no. God equipped the Babylonians to fulfill His purpose and carry His people away into captivity. So we see God's purpose for Babylon. God can call anyone He wants, anytime He wants, to do anything He wants. Number three, we see God's punishment of Babylon. God's punishment of Babylon. Now, here's where the chapter was difficult for me in study. Because uh, Isaiah loved to do this when he wrote. God had Isaiah do this. He would be talking about current day events. And then at times he would fast forward to the birth of Jesus. And then at other times he would fast forward to the return of Jesus at the end uh, uh, where we find the book of Revelation. So sometimes he'd fast forward to the Gospels, our Gospels. Sometimes he'd fast forward to the book of Revelation and the tribulation. And, and, and then he'd come right back to modern day. And then he would move back and forth and in and out. And, and, and you, you really have to kind of stop and study and figure out when he's talking about what. So here when we look at God's punishment of Babylon... Here's what we're looking at. We're looking at the future punishment of Babylon at the end of the tribulation, and then we're going to come back and look at the punishment of Babylon that's already taken place, the city of Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar reigned. So uh, uh, here he begins in verse 6 down through verse 16, talking about the punishment of mystery Babylon that we just read about in Revelation 17. Notice letter A, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, any time in Scripture you see the day of the Lord, especially in the Old Testament, you need to pause and realize that the day of the Lord specifically is a reference to the day that Jesus comes out of heaven on a white horse and declares war against the heathen of the world in the valley of Megiddo. Any time in the Old Testament you see the day of the Lord, specifically it's referring to the day Jesus comes and wipes out his enemies and sets up his kingdom. Generically, when he talks about the day of the Lord, generically he's speaking of the tribulation period bleeding into the millennial reign. So specifically the day of the Lord is the return of Jesus to to set up his kingdom. Generically, it's a reference to the tribulation, the seven years leading up to that point, into the millennial reign, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, here's what makes Isaiah's prophecy so fascinating. When Isaiah gave this prophecy, Babylon was a rinky-dink little city that had no power. And Isaiah predicted some hundred years in advance that Babylon would grow into a massive empire and that this Babylon would come in and take over Jerusalem and that Jerusalem would be taken into captivity. And then he predicted the destruction of this city. Now let me just share with you an equivalent. Okay, Let's say that I were to get up here and I were to say God has given me a prophecy about the demise and destruction of the United States of America. Now, I'm not doing this, but let's just suppose for a minute that I did that. And let's just say that I said that Armenia is going to become a great, great, great world power, and Armenia is going to swoop in and destroy the United States of America, and then uh, sometime later, Kazakhstan is going to become a great nation, and then they're going to destroy Armenia, and then Armenia will never be inhabited again. You all will look at me and say, Pastor, you have lost your mind. 
But you know what? If that was put in writing and then hundreds of years later after it happened, you were to find that writing, you would say, well, maybe God really did tell him that. You see, when Isaiah prophesied this, it seemed loony. Babylon's this little city. Babylon has no real power. And Babylon's going to become a great country. Babylon's going to become a world, a, a, a world power. And then Babylon's going to take out Israel. And then Babylon's going to be destroyed and never be inhabited. Boy, it just seemed like a stretch. But now we can look back through history and see that indeed is exactly what happened. God did indeed tell him. How can we be certain that the prophecy we're about to look like actually will take place one day? Because the second half of the prophecy he gave about actual city of Babylon, every detail of it has already come true. Well, let's look at what Revelation 13, 6 through 16 says. Look at me at verse number 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now we have moved ahead in time, and we're not looking at the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar. We're looking at the Babylon of the Antichrist, okay? It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. You know, so, so think about what you know about Revelation. Think about uh, what you know about Jesus coming back. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. Uh, they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellation thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world, the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man uh, than the gold wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger, and, in, and it shall be as the chaste row, and as a sheet that no man taketh up. Uh, they shall, uh, they shall, every man turn to his own people, and flee every one his own land. Every one that is found shall be thrust through, and every one that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children shall be dashed to pieces, uh, before their eyes, their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. This prophecy is a prophecy of the tribulation period. This prophecy is a prophecy of Babylon that will one day fall. Let's look at what we just saw in Revelation 13 and let's analyze this up against Revelation 14. Turn over to Isaiah 13, hold your finger there, turn over to Revelation 14 and we're going to go back and forth between these two passages and we're going to see exactly uh, how this, uh, how these uh, passages uh, parallel each other. Revelation 14 and Isaiah chapter number uh, 13. Look back in verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 13 with me. It says there, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Okay, look here. Um, verse number 7, Therefore shall all hands be faint. Look here. Every man's heart shall melt. Every hands, man's heart shall melt. Turn with me 
over to Revelation. Let's first look at Revelation 14, 6 through 10. Then we'll look at uh, the parallel there. It says there, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Revelation 14, 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and every kindred and tongue and people. Imagine that, an angel flying through the sky, preaching the gospel, preaching salvation. We're past the halfway point of the tribulation. He, an angel is riding it in the sky, declaring it in the sky in every language possible, to every people possible. Every single person is given a chance to get saved by an angel declaring it in the sky. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And uh, worship Him uh, that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains uh, of, of waters. And uh, there followed another angel saying, Babylon, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed uh, uh, them, uh, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So an ultimatum will be given. Uh, listen, be saved. Here's how to be saved. Uh, Babylon is going to be destroyed. And if you take the mark of the beast, there's no, there's no point of return. You will suffer in the lake of fire. You will suffer with fire and brimstone. So Babylon is declared against. Turn over to Revelation chapter 18, and let's look specifically at how every man's heart shall fail. Look at verse 1. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was uh, lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich uh, through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come uh, out of her, my, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye rejoice not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God um, hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she reward you, and double uh, unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled uh, 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 Fill to her double. Look with me. Uh, look with me here at verse number seven. How much shall uh, let's see? How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously? So much torment and sorrows give her, for she said in her heart, "I I sit a queen and am, and am no widow and shall see no sorrow." So she's lifted up in her pride, and one day the destruction is going to come quick. It's going to be vast, it's going to be total, and people, their heart will fail them as they look at it. Go back with me to Revelation 13 and look at verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth, or a woman that giveth birth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. That, that's a sign of how much pain they're in. Verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Go back with me to Revelation 18 and look at verse number 8. 
It says, therefore, speaking of this Babylon, this Babylon at the end of um, uh, the tribulation period, therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. There's that reference to burning. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. The day of the Lord. There's going to be a day where this Babylon that's been rebuilt, this Babylon where the Antichrist is ruled, this political capital of the world, this spiritual capital of the world with the one world religion and the false prophet. and uh, It's going to be rained down by the wrath of God and people will stand and their mouth will gape open as it is destroyed and its residents killed, pains and sorrows, and they watch as it's laid desolate. Verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 13, look back there at verse 10. The Bible says, For the stars of heaven and the constellation thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. We won't look at it, but Joel chapter 2 verse 10, we find this same prophecy in the day of the Lord. Matthew twenty four twenty nine, Jesus says the same thing, that the sun and the stars and the moon will go dark. Look with me at Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 12. This prophecy about the sun and the stars and the moon going dark is found multiple times by multiple prophets, including Jesus himself. And here in Revelation 6, we see John laying it out there for us. Verse 12, And I behold, Revelation 6, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, uh, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island uh, were moved out of their place. You see there the sun becoming uh, black, the moon becoming as blood. What's going on here? God is judging the earth. God is pouring out His wrath upon the earth for their wickedness. Look back at verse number 11 of Isaiah 13. We need to move quickly here. We're almost done with the message. Look at verse number 11, chapter 13. The Bible says, And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Let me just say this right here, right now. All seven years of the tribulation will be the pouring out of the wrath of God on this earth. I've heard people say, well, the three, first three and a half years will be pleasant, and the last three and a half years will not be so pleasant. I don't know where people get that. As I read through the pouring out of the judgment of God during the seven years, it all sounds pretty terrible. Now, I will admit the last three and a half years are worse, but they're all bad. None of them are good. In fact, if you read through the book of Revelation, the um, tribulation gets kicked off in chapter 6 with seven seal judgments. You say, what is a seal? Well, the title deed to the earth is picked up by the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, and he picks it up and he begins to open up the scroll. And the way they would mark chapters in the scroll is they would take a wax seal and they would mark it 
closed with that wax seal. So when you're opening it up, you would come to the first wax seal and you would break that open. You'd read a little further and you'd come to the next wax seal and you'd break that open. Seven seal judgments are poured out on earth as Jesus opens the title deed, being the only one worthy to do so because he died for the sins of the world. Once the seventh seal judgment is poured out on earth, then we come to seven trumpet judgments found in Revelation 8 and 9. After those are completed, seven angels blow seven trumpets signifying the beginning of another judgment. Then we come to seven bowl or vile judgments laid out for us in Revelation 15 and 16. In there you have the destruction of mystery Babylon. So we see that God will punish the world for their evil as is declared in verse 11. He doesn't just punish Babylon. He punishes the world, the world. So we see the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now Isaiah is going to come back to current Babylon that that takes Israel into captivity. And he we see letter B, the day of the Medes, the day of the Medes. Go back to Revelation chapter 13 and look at verse number 17, Revelation 13 and verse 17. The Bible says there, behold, I will stir up the Medes. Now, this is amazing. Okay, Babylon did not yet exist in great power. Some hundred years later, in fact, I have the dates down here. Isaiah died around 690 B.C. Okay, Media took over Babylon in 539 B.C., 151 years after Isaiah's death. This prophecy was given some 150 to 200 years prior to it becoming true. Media was not even a thing when Isaiah pinned down the term, the Medes, in verse number 17. If you need something to help you have faith in your Bible, the scrolls of Isaiah were uncovered in the Dead Sea. They found them. They dated them. Isaiah pinned this down. We know this for fact. Isaiah pinned this down before Babylon would ever conquer Israel. And then Isaiah pinned this down before Media was ever even a nation. Look back at verse 17. He's writing about a country that doesn't exist. Behold, I will stir up the Medes. People are reading the scratch in their head saying, who are the Medes? I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver. And as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Now quickly here, we know that when Media took over Babylon, they were not doing it for the, the money. They were doing it for the territory. They were doing it because they were expansionists. They came in and they took over. They did not touch the wealth that Babylon had in regards to uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the treasures they had taken from the temple. They left that intact. They left that alone. They were not doing it for money, just as uh, Isaiah predicted. Verse 18, their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. In Babylon, the glory of, of the kingdom, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be uh, as when God overthrows Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, here's a prophecy that's amazing, okay? Look at verse 20. It shall never be inhabited. Speaking of Babylon, it shall never be inhabited. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch 
uh, their tent, pinch tent there. Neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs or demons shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces, and her name is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. What does Isaiah say will happen? Listen up, we're almost done. What does Isaiah say would happen? He said, one day, not only will this city become great and take over Babylon, not only will, it, uh, uh, not only will Babylon take over Israel, one day Babylon will be overcome by the Medes, and in time the city will become desolate and bare. Today, Babylon sits with no inhabitants. In fact, people lived in Babylon all the way until the 6th century. The 6th century. In about the year 600, there were some Jews that lived in Babylon and they deserted the city and it sat empty. And to this day, no one is willing to live in Babylon. In fact, um, Saddam Hussein attempted to rebuild the city and then war war with the U.S. caused that effort to stop. They say that people who live in the area, the Arabs who live in the area, are so superstitious about Babylon, they won't even spend one night there. They say that sheep will not even wander into the city limits where Babylon was. They say that lions live in the city of Babylon. Just like the Bible says the doleful creatures of the desert would live there. People who are archaeologists who have undug the city believe there is a strong demonic presence there. Why? Because demons dance in the streets. Isaiah predicted that this would happen, and this has happened. If you're looking for faith in your Bible, there are three cities in the Bible that I'm aware of that were predicted that no one would dwell there anymore, and to this date, no one dwells in any of those cities. Those cities are Nineveh, Babylon, and Capernaum. No one, um, those cities have never been rebuilt since they were destroyed. Why? Because when the Bible predicts that something's going to happen, it always comes true every time. Here we see that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Now, Babylon will one day be rebuilt. It won't be built on the site of current Babylon. No one will ever dwell there again. No one will ever dwell there again because God always keeps his word. I, I want to finish the message with this, and I've gone... A couple of minutes even past what I said. But I want to finish the message with this. The day of the Lord, for those who are living against God, is the most terrifying thought imaginable. But the day of the Lord, for those who love the Lord, is the most comforting thought for those that love Him. If you love God and you're on Team Jesus, the day of the Lord should put a smile on your face. I would encourage you to get in line with the Lord and follow Him and love Him, and claim His promises, because when God makes a promise, He always, every single time, comes true on His Word. And you can take that to the spiritual bank, and you can count on it. Amen? And so you may be here tonight wondering where God is in your life, why He isn't coming through in this way. I promise you, if there's a promise in His Word toward you, I promise you He will deliver. Put your faith in Him. And don't be like the Babylonians. Don't be one who worships yourself. Don't be one who works worships your own strength. Trust God and His strength. Let's stand to be dismissed tonight. I hope the book of Isaiah is coming to life for you. I hope chapter 13, you've enjoyed it.
And um, we'll be in chapter 14 next week. And we'll continue talking about Babylon as the Bible continues to do so. Well, Miss Callie, we're getting close. Just a few minutes from now, you'll know what you're having. We hope you'll stick around for the gender reveal. If you haven't taken a card and filled out your guess, boy or girl, we encourage you to do that before the reveal, all right? Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you tonight for the Bible study. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to claim your promises. May we live counting on you to keep your word. We know you're a God who is fair and just and honest and righteous. And Lord, sometimes those promises work against us when we're working against you. But Lord, help us to look forward to the day where you'll rule and reign forever. Thank you for each one who came out tonight, Lord. My prayers, their their spiritual battery has been recharged. Bless our time and fellowship and the food we'll partake of. In Jesus' name.